Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners. Rhea here with you once again. Today, I'm sitting with my friend, Clara Chow. Clara has a very interesting background. She was a nonprofit person and made the transition into corporate. So we're going to talk a little bit today about that. And then we're also going to talk about the product that Clara is working on. So in general, we we talk about tools and tricks that nonprofit leaders can use. But in this case, Clara is going to talk today about a tool that some of the clients that we work with can use. So without further ado, welcome, Clara. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, everybody. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your career. Sure. So my career has kind of had twists and turns. It's moved across sectors, but I think there's one theme throughout. So whether I was running nonprofits back home in Toronto and part of the Toronto Youth Cabinet, whether I was running a nonprofit focused on social mobility enterprises and micro enterprises in Africa, or whether it's what I'm doing now, making the transition from nonprofit to social entrepreneurship in a corporation, I've really focused on this idea of social mobility and what it what it takes to break people out of dead-end work. I like to think of it as a kind of escape velocity of poverty. What are What's the concentrated boost that we can give people to actually break out of a cycle of precariousness, low wages, low income, lack of hope? Clara, tell me a little bit about your start in the nonprofit sector, because you used to run a nonprofit for a number of years, yes? That's right. Since 2011, when I launched at the U.S. consulate in Lagos, Nigeria, I've been actually running a nonprofit focused on building what I call social mobility enterprises. So these are businesses that are explicitly designed to give low-income, low-skilled young people a path out of poverty. The idea is we take young people off the streets, ex-gang members, ex-sex workers, homeless, unemployed young people. And then what we do is we teach them to run a business. So they start as trainees, then they go to associate, manager, and then they become equity owners. So that's what gets really exciting. Our explicit goal is to build businesses and spin them off, sort of like training wheels for microenterprise. And in so doing, actually create a whole generation of young people who have steady work, but also, you know, a path to ownership and true wealth. That's so interesting. So as a as a Canadian person who's educated in the US, why did you start a nonprofit in Lagos, Nigeria? I know it sounds totally random, but I was part of something called the Toronto Youth Cabinet, which worked on a failed Olympic bid for our city. Mm. And we decided to go ahead and launch something anyway. So we brought 30 young people from all around the world, Mm -hmm. Zambia, Iran, Egypt, Paraguay, Nigeria. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard of Nigeria at the time, had not did not know about the port city of Lagos, which actually generates a third of the GDP of Africa's largest economy. But one of the young people was from Lagos, and he had been an ex-street youth. He'd been a street youth turned social worker. Mm-hmm. And so now he was trying out this new idea, microenterprise. Mm-hmm. He believed that that was new at the time, but microfinance was something he was experimenting with. Problem is, homeless young people have no fixed address, no guarantor, and no collateral. And so we needed to come up with a better way to assess risk for young people who otherwise would not be creditworthy. So what did we do? We started a photo studio for Nollywood. Oh, yes. So (laughs) fun fact, everyone, Nollywood is the world's most prolific film industry. They make some 1200 films a year compared with Bollywood, which makes about a thousand or Hollywood, a laggard at 500. So I know it still sounds like a lot, a lot more movies than we could ever watch. Mm -hmm. But 
we decided to create this photo studio and train young people to run it. Mm-hmm. And the idea was you work for six months to a year and your work ethic becomes your credit score. Interesting. Yeah. So every day I get to see how you handle money, how you work with customers. Do you show up on time? Mm -hmm. How do you interact with your teammates? I mean, any VC would dream of putting their investees under such a microscope. Mm -hmm. And we were able to do this with young people who otherwise had no form of identification, no credentials. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, purely based on competency and work ethic. And then based on that, we would give them microloans to start their own business. That's amazing. So how... You, how long were you running this enterprise? Gosh, I'm still running it <laughs> on the side. So you're based here in New York and you're running this other thing in Lagos. Yes, I have a whole team on the ground and they're fantastic. But yeah, I go to Nigeria once a year. I've seen it change since wow. I started going there in 2009. Wow. We had an official launch after a pilot in 2011. And there have definitely been all kinds of scrapes. I mean, at one point, my whole organization was stolen by local partners. And other times, government contracts didn't come through and my team was hungry for months on end without, and I was trying to find places for them to live because we were waiting for this contract to come through so we could pay them. I mean, I (laughs) suffice it to say, when it came time to write a business school application essay and the question was, what's your greatest failure? I was like, oh, I have so many to choose from. Let me tell you these stories. But yeah, it's still in operation today. And At this point, we've partnered with the federal government, several state governments, and we've pivoted from giving microfinance loans to actually building our own businesses that we know are steady and profitable and teaching young people to run those. So they become, the businesses are like living labs to teach business skills, give steady income, let you learn while you earn. Wow. I love that. So to get back to you, you're still running this thing, but that's not your full-time job. So you founded this thing, you ran it for a while, you went to business school. Mm-hmm. And then after business school, did you make the transition into the corporate world? Yeah. So I was lucky enough to have my business school paid for. So my very first job was actually at McKinsey in management consulting. And the first time I left McKinsey, I raised a bunch of money to launch my nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And then the second time I left McKinsey, it was to do what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. So I was I was very lucky, I think, to have I guess someone willing to to cover my education. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you know, I graduated from business school debt-free and I owed them two years of service. So I worked at McKinsey and during that time transitioned my nonprofit. And then in 2016, a very eventful year, I made the decision to leave the corporate world and focus on what I was realizing was a whole segment of America that I had either just neglected or, or, or failed to truly understand. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to spend time with the part of America that felt left behind, that felt frustrated, and sometimes in some cases felt resentful, mm-hmm. but in all cases was living paycheck to paycheck and felt like they did everything right and still weren't making it a, making mm-hmm. it in this world. So I, I have actually spent the last two years going to, say, inner city St. Louis, Missouri, where I met, meet single mothers who depend on the earned income tax credit to make it above the poverty line. Mm-hmm. I go to San Antonio, Texas, where every block as you drive down is a check casher, a payday lender, an auto title mm-hmm. lender, mm-hmm. right? And it makes you realize that, yeah, 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Almost half of Americans don't have 400 bucks for an emergency expense, because when you live paycheck to paycheck, your margin for error is so, so slim. When the car breaks down, your kid is sick, it derails your entire your entire life, your mm-hmm. financial future, your savings. Mm-hmm. I mean, fully one in three Americans has zero dollars saved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think we're seeing how a lot of the financial insecurity is showing up at the yeah. polls. 
Yeah. This is the new normal, unfortunately, financial insecurity and a sense that no matter how hard you work, somehow you can't get ahead. Mm-hmm. You're talking about how much this cause and this particular issue has really stirred you. So what does that mean for you in your day-to-day life? Like, where are you working and what are you doing and how are you affecting this issue of poverty in America? So I did make the decision to jump into a corporation called Jackson Hewitt. Mm -hmm. And so actually a headhunter reached out because of the financial inclusion and social mobility work I was doing in Africa, which I really appreciated. So it turns out Jackson Hewitt's a company that has been around since the 1970s. They do taxes. Mm -hmm. So, And taxes, by the way, are actually a chief vehicle for wealth transfer and support for low-income, hardworking Americans. So the earned income tax credit which is a box that you check on your tax returns if you make under a certain amount. It actually ends up being your biggest paycheck all year. Mm-hmm. You can get up, in some cases, you can get over $10,000 between the child tax credit and the earned income tax credit. And Jackson Hewitt is one of the biggest purveyors of, of this, of the assistance young, that hardworking Americans need in order to get the biggest refund they can. And they use this tax return to cover all their bills for the year. A lot of them have are just waiting for this check to forestall eviction, mm-hmm. to keep the lights on, to pay debts that they've been accumulating all year long. Mm-hmm. And so Jackson Hewitt has become this lifeline for some 2 million Americans who are working hard and still are working poor. Mm-hmm. However, you know, they had this bigger mission to be working hard for the hardest working. And I thought this was a great opportunity for me actually to have a lot to reach a lot of people mm-hmm. and try to innovate on products that can build financial health. Mm-hmm. So don't just help people get by one time, but actually reach out and support them all year long. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually, when I joined Jackson Hewitt, I showed them this path to prosperity. So I drew up this kind of three-step path. First is get people the money they need today mm-hmm. so they can survive. Second step is help them solve some of the problems from their past, particularly around tax debt, credit card debt, Mm -hmm. and then moving forward, build for the future. And so this involves protecting their assets, whether it's through, you know, identity theft protection, whether it's through insurance that's affordable, Mm -hmm. or whether it's actually through reaching out to organizations that can give them income sharing agreements and build skills, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think there are two aspects we have to consider. One is income smoothing, which is when people are financially insecure, they may have a lot of money over the course of the year. And I saw this in Nigeria too. You might actually have a lot of enough money to live on over the course of the year, but when does it come in versus when your expenses show up? Mm -hmm. So that's that's one big piece. And the second part is sometimes the absolute amount of money you have is not enough to cover your needs. Mm -hmm. So I think poverty is sort of just a sad kind of collision of both of these factors which trap you in this world of kind of debt, hand-to-mouth living. Yeah. So we're going to actually delve that deep into that in a minute, but I'm just curious on a personal level. As a Canadian, which (laughs) which we think is, as a country, there's a lot more income equality across the board. Like, What is your perception of the income inequality in America? Because Canadians are friendly neighbors to the North, (laughs) and forget are actually not Americans in some very important ways. So I'm just curious, like, as a non-American, what your perspective is. Yeah, well, for one thing, democratic socialism is not a scary concept. <laughs> Remember, they, they mean, say that there are two things at any New York dinner party that will cause controversy. One is the natural wine movement, and one is democratic hysterical. socialism. And I just feel that this idea of just 
smoothing income, having a social safety net, those are not things that are controversial to me. Mm -hmm. And of course, I think it shocks the world every time that the richest country in the world has such poverty on its shores. I mean, there are people in America who live on $2 a day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm used to that. I don't like it. I'm trying to fix it, but I'm used to that in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. But to see that in America, mm-hmm. where there's still the highest number of billionaires in the world, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that it does make you pause. Mm-hmm. So my second question also on a personal level is why this cause? I mean, there are so many issues in the world. I mean, my issue happens to be education. Also, I people get invested in all sorts of issues. Why this issue? Like, what what has called you to this particular it's a great question, Ria. And I, I actually think that as I've progressed in the nonprofit world and, and kind of the world of social change making, I just start to take an ecosystem approach. The truth is, I mean, you said education is your your big issue. Financial health is intimately tied to that. I mean, there was a report in the New York Times just this past week showing that half of community college students are financially insecure, right? They, they're food insecure, so they haven't had enough to eat in the last 30 days. And when you think about the fact that 47% of community college students drop out of school citing financial distress, mm-hmm. well, it's very clear that financial health is an education issue. Financial health is a food and health, physical health issue. Mm-hmm. Financial health is a social mobility issue. How am I supposed to move ahead, mm-hmm. save and invest in my future if I can't even make ends meet today? Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's intimately tied to all these pieces. And I think increasingly I've realized that if, if people have a scarcity mindset, they can't show up the best way they can be in their communities, in their families. I think that without that safety and security, we can't reach the higher levels of empowerment that we aspire to in any of our organizations. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. The scarcity and abundance mindset has actually been a theme on this podcast. So yeah. there have been a couple of folks who've talked about that. So it seems like this is your issue. It seems like it's tied to a lot of other issues. Tell me what you're working on right now, because I think my audience, and now we're going to transition folks to things that perhaps your clients could find helpful you're working on an idea that you think could potentially help lots of people. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I started off my social entrepreneurship career actually in in government, right? Toronto, the Toronto Youth Cabinet. And I believe regulation is an important tool and, and policy is an important tool. But lately, I've thought a lot more about social entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship. And so that's why I think giving people smart alternatives to existing options, just creating demonstration projects and saying, look, this can work. Another Mm -hmm. world is possible is the way to go. And that's what I'm focused on right now. So at Jackson Hewitt, I'm working on a product that actually can give people a smart alternative to payday loans. Mm -hmm. So let's rewind for a moment. What is a payday loan? Mm -hmm. So when we think about the fact that 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, that means an emergency expense or goodness, even a routine expense like rent or Mm -hmm. your food bill can just throw you off track. And 12 million Americans every year turn to this thing called a payday loan to make ends meet when they need money before payday. So the way it works is you need to have regular income and you need to have a bank account. And what you do is you show up at an online or storefront payday lender and you say, here's my paycheck and what's going to be coming. I need a loan of $400. The average payday loan is about 375 And so the payday lender will actually charge you $20 for every $100 borrowed. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. right? So that means in two weeks' time, when my paycheck comes in, I will owe the $400 I borrowed to pay for my medication or pay for my car repairs plus $80 in fees. However, I need to pay back every penny of that in two weeks' time. And if I'm short even a little, I will need to roll over my payday loan. So now I owe my original $400, the $80 fee from the first two weeks, and another $80. So you can quickly see how you end up owing a lot more money than you originally borrowed. Mm -hmm. In fact, the Pew Trust has found that the average payday borrower spends over $500 to repeatedly borrow the same $375. And so 80% of payday borrowers are rolling over their loans and they're in debt for five months of the year. I've met people through Jackson Hewitt who took a payday loan to meet, make ends meet and basically were in debt the whole year until their refund came in and they were finally able to pay it off and be free. Mm-hmm. So you can see how this stops you from getting ahead. Right. I mean, predatory lending practices, I think, are, are something that anybody who works with low-income communities is acutely aware of, sadly. So yeah. So what does that mean for what you're working on? So I want to give them a smart alternative to this. So what does that look like? Well, I spent two years talking to folks who use payday loans or who know people who've used payday loans and who are living paycheck to paycheck. And here are their biggest pain points because I wanted to design something that solved all the things that currently cause them grief Mm -hmm. and, and trap them in debt. So one, interest, hidden fees, late fees. They talked a lot about how these fees just seem to snowball. They come out of nowhere. At first you say, oh, you know, $20 for $100 borrowed. I'll pay it off in two weeks. That's not so bad. Before you know it, you've got a 400% APR over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And so it comes out of nowhere. And a lot of them are really busy juggling multiple jobs. And they're not going to sit there and necessarily calculate that interest. Mm -hmm. And so it just seems to come out of nowhere. So how can we tackle late fees, hidden fees, interest? Secondly, they talked a lot about how one of the biggest struggles for them is just knowing how much they need to pay each month because, again, they haven't done the calculation. They have expenses that are coming up. I wanted to create something that had a fixed flat fee so it's predictable. You can budget for it. You have no surprises. Mm -hmm. Another thing that came up was credit scores. So for those of you who aren't kind of familiar with the credit score system, it's something that can really trap people in poverty as well. So a The credit score is something that's created by these credit bureaus like Experian, TransUnion, Equifax. And it basically is a score calculated from your history of borrowing and repaying. It's supposed to sort of be its creditworthiness, its trustworthiness. I mean, even though it's supposed to be used mostly to assess you for loans, it also tends to be reviewed by your employers, by your landlords. And so if you don't have a good credit score or you don't have a history of borrowing because you don't have access to credit, you actually could miss out on a lot more than just loans. Mm-hmm. You might not get apartments rented to you. You, know, might, you might not get jobs, and you might not even know this is happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to create something that helps people build their credit history so in the future they can access more mainstream sources of credit, mm-hmm. not payday loans. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I just wanted something that, was, that didn't have people borrow more than they needed. And so instead of giving you X dollars, I wanted something that you could, as expenses come up, you could borrow up to a credit limit. So I actually have, I wanted something you could basically borrow $10 from one day, $50 from another day, money ready for you and accessible to you when you need it all year round. Mm. So those were all things I took into consideration when designing this product. And so what I have now is a product called Early Access. It's a prepaid card tied to a line of credit. The prepaid card is $5 a month, which 
compares really favorably when you think about the fact that it's a substitute for a bank account. Mm -hmm. And the average American spends $329 a year on ATM fees, overdraft fees, and minimum balance fees. Mm -hmm. So I wanted a smart substitute for high bank fees. And then I wanted a smart substitute for payday loans. And so in, instead of paying 20 bucks for every $100 borrowed, I've got a line of credit that you pay $15 a month to access, and then you can access it as much as you need up to your credit limit. So together, five and 15 are $20 a month, mm -hmm. and you get a substitute for a bank account and a payday loan, mm -hmm. which means all year round, you have a place to store your money, you have a place to manage bill pay, a free ATM network, and you get advances between paycheck between paychecks whenever you need money all year round. So it sounds like a really interesting and compelling product. I mean, the nonprofit in me, though, is like, okay, what's the catch? Because obviously Jackson Hewitt is, at the end of the day, they're in it to make money. Yeah, so, it's not a nonprofit. Yeah, so what, what am I missing here? What's the catch? What do I have to be aware of for my clients? So I think the biggest thing to be aware of is this is, a, this is meant to change behavior. And behavior change is hard. And number two, you know, there is a monthly fee that's associated with it. So it's designed for folks who are borrowing and needing money between paychecks all year. Mm -hmm. And I think this, at first, it can be a bit daunting for folks to feel like, oh, wait, I'm paying no matter what, whether or not I borrow. And it does require them to take a step back and say, am I the kind of person who over the course of the year actually ends up turning to payday loans, who ends up paying overdraft fees, in which case this is going to save me $50 a month on average. However, if you're someone who doesn't borrow much, if you are someone who is saving, then this product is not the best product for you. So I think it behooves us as change makers, whether you're corporate entrepreneur or whether you're a nonprofit leader to say, is this the right fit for my clients? And let me make sure I explain it in really accessible, easy ways. Mm -hmm. Because the financial sector is certainly not the best example of being transparent and easy to understand, mm -hmm. uh, especially for our clients. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing. And the other part is, I very transparently try to explain to nonprofit partners that this is a product that has to be financially sustainable. So yes, we are making money. But the way we're making money is not necessarily through the monthly fees. So $20 a month is a huge savings. In fact, I have a lot of people say this is too good to be true. And I really have to explain, no, there really are. There really is no interest, mm -hmm. no fees per advance, no late fees, mm -hmm. and there's no minimum credit score required. And so your question rightly would be, okay, so how are you making money? Because this is actually a very low fee compared to the risk. Mm -hmm. And so I think one thing I've learned is if you want to build a financially sustainable product, you need to make money, but it doesn't necessarily have to be from low-income people. You can make money from the merchants who serve low-income people. And so a big part of how we make money with this product is through interchange fees. Mm. And so all these merchants who want to access our clients' paychecks by selling them goods and services, they're the ones who will pay to have access. And every time there's a transaction with this prepaid card... I will get a little bit of money that helps me to make this financially sustainable. But I think the key is just to understand business models. You have to be more innovative with business models when you're serving low-income people. Mm -hmm. The third thing I would share is Jackson Hewitt makes money from December to April with tax services. Doesn't really make money the rest of the year. And so part of the pitch for this product was let's build on our brand of working hard for the hardest working, and let's find a way to build a customer relationship all year round. And you have to realize, actually, companies pay a lot of money when it comes in, in advertising, in brand building, in marketing. And so the pitch is, hey, instead of spending money on ads that may or may not actually help people, 
let's build a product that sits in people's wallets and helps them all year. And that will be a way to build our brand and remind them when it comes to taxes that we exist. We've been, the, we've been here for them every time they needed money before payday. Mm-hmm. And now we can be here to help get the biggest refund as well. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's about being innovative with your business model and saying, I want to provide this service to low-income people. I want to do it in such a way that I'm not making, I'm not taking a lot of money from low-income people. So who else? Where where is the where are the other pockets of money? Mm-hmm. How can I move this around a little bit so I can make the whole system work? Mm-hmm. So to go back to the other question about like the small transaction fees. So mm-hmm. is it that when folks use the card, the merchant then pays your company a little bit of transaction fee? So the way this works is prepaid and credit card issuers are making money from what they what we call interchange fees. Mm-hmm. So their value is actually in connecting and making it super easy for customers to spend at these merchants, mm-hmm. at these stores. Every time they buy something from a store, every time they rent a movie, every time they sign up for cell phone bills, mm-hmm. I mean, for cell service we're transacting anyway, we need to buy these goods. Mm -hmm. But the credit card and prepaid card service is that they make it easy for you Mm -hmm. to do this because you don't have to be carrying cash. So if you're short a little bit today, or you aren't carrying it on you, you've got this card. That's the service they provide. And they're making it easy for you to spend at these merchants. So the merchants are willing to pay the card issuer a little bit of money for the privilege of making it easy for their customers to do business with them. Right. It comes through our partners and then we share it. And like I mentioned, this is really an ecosystem product. Yeah. We needed someone to give an alternative to bank fees, an alternative to payday loans. We needed a place for them to save their money and Mm -hmm. and know that they could transact online. So we need to cobble all these things together and then figure out the different pockets of money and move it around so that there wasn't a huge burden on the actual users who Mm -hmm. we were trying to help. It's really expensive to be poor. Super expensive. And I'm not just talking about being able to go to Costco and buy everything in bulk, right? I think everything costs more. Everything is harder. And I think the biggest part I've realized is that little things can just throw you off track mm-hmm. and land you in a trap that you can't escape. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that you're always on edge, you're always walking this line, that's exhausting. It's stressful. It's bad for your health. It's bad for your long-term planning. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a big, like that psychic cost should not be discounted either. It's expensive in every respect to be poor. So let me ask you this, Clara, because I, I come from the my passion being education. Are there also services that you're offering as far as teaching people about becoming more financially literate and building credit and managing money and so forth? I have a whole dream about making these about packing in a lot more services mm-hmm. so that your subscription, your monthly subscription fee is essentially covering all kinds of things, mm-hmm. including financial literacy education, maybe including things like retail discounts, maybe including things like legal aid and, and mm-hmm. the ability to answer questions about wage theft, about eviction, about a lot of issues, again, that low-income Americans will face and not have resources to, to counter. Mm-hmm. So I've got big dreams for this product and, and a whole roadmap to reach all those. Yeah. I mean, often we would say you don't know what you don't know. And sadly, I don't think most Americans have financial literacy education and yeah. particularly in communities. I mean, how do you learn how to how to manage your money? It's usually the way that your parents manage their money. Yeah. And if your parents weren't particularly good at it, then how do you know what to do? Money is such a, a tough issue. I think it's it's so wrapped up. There's stories we tell ourselves about money. For some people, stories mean love. For some people, for some people, money, money is love. For some people, money is security. you know security. Yep. For some people, money is free. It's all these things wrapped up. And I, I think you're absolutely right. We don't. 
it would be great if this was actually part of our education system. Mm -hmm. This and healthy relationships, health and hygiene. <laughs> oh, Clara, what are we, Canadian? <laughs> oh, well, what girl can dream? <laughs> well, this is super interesting. So what we'll do is we'll include information in the show notes, how to reach you and Absolutely. information on this product. And for any of the folks who are interested in learning more, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I would love to partner with any forward-thinking nonprofits that are serving hardworking Americans. I think that it'll be very interesting for us to see how a product like this that can smooth income, build credit history, and give people money when they need it, what effect does that have on school graduation rates? What effect mm -hmm. does that have on transitioning into higher income work? Mm -hmm. what, what impact does that have on healthier families? Mm -hmm. So any organization that's serving low-income Americans that would like to test this out are heartily invited to partner with me. And I think we can find a way to both share the information and the lessons learned, but also if the pilot's successful, explore a way to scale this up. Mm, fantastic. Well, Clara, thank you so much. And thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you for having me. 